So uh, I've been telling you about Brad and Eden and and uh, all you people here. Do I say nice things about Brad behind his back? <laughs> yeah, most of the time, right? Every now and then we get a little ornery, but anyway, uh, no, they just—I uh, love these guys, and you know, I, some of you guys know my story. Brad was the first one, really, to teach me uh, early church theology. Like, what did they do before canon? You know, what did Polycarp and Irenaeus and all these different people that were actually mentored by the apostles? What, what did they share? What did they believe? And and uh, how did they interpret scripture? And and it's been life-changing for me, just because it's, it's the thing I've, I really believed in my heart, but I didn't have any context for it, because I'd never heard anything other than scriptures literal, and every word is literal, but then you get so confused because there's so many contradictory scriptures that literally contradict themselves. And so when I, when I heard, wow, you mean it was more of what's the spirit and the allegory behind the story that was really everything about it, it just freed me up unbelievably. And then obviously the whole... Hey, God truly is love with no buts. Because most of us have heard, hey, he's love, but he's also just. Meaning that if you don't get your act together and say the magic words before, then, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so anyway, uh, I'm, I'm forever grateful is really what I would say. And, and you guys that have been around us a little bit, they, you know how I feel about Brad and Eden. So I don't want to take any more, but I love you. And uh, really... You say jump, and we'll just say how high, honestly. So, we love, you. love you. Okay. <laughs> Thanks, Mike and Barb. I, if, if you owed me anything, it's been paid back ten times over in your generosity, hospitality, inspiration. Thank you so much. Where did you didn't go? There you are. So, um, my better half, obviously. Yeah. Obviously. Um, the amens are a little too enthusiastic, but nonetheless accurate. <clears throat> um, so we want to go, you said maybe 45 minutes? Yeah, and then we'll take a break, guys, if you get need to leave, whatever, and then I think they'll stick around a little bit, answer Q&A, etc. Okay, so I'm aiming at about 8.05. Um, so the first thing I want to do is pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and for the gift of the Holy Spirit that's been poured out into our hearts and renewed our sight and is bearing fruit in this beautiful family. And uh, so we want to honor you tonight. And we ask that you'd help us to hear spiritually. And um, we'd really appreciate that. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Okay. So uh, the first thing I want to share just is a reminder of a passage in 1 Corinthians where Paul is quoting from Isaiah, and what he said is, Eye has not seen, ear has not heard. Anyone know the next phrase? Nor has entered the heart of any man what God has in store for us. We'll pause there for a moment. One day at Fresh Wind Church, we had the best Sunday school um, leader in the world, um, but... <laughs> She'd had our children memorize that verse, stopping there. Eye has not seen, ear has not heard, nor has heart entered into the heart of any man what God has prepared. What God has prepared. Like I'm stumbling over different translations, right? What God has prepared for them. But, and then, and then Paul responds. 
but God has revealed it to us by his spirit. Like, that's kind of a big omission when you're training children. Um, you know all the things God has for you? You don't, you don't get to know what they are. Oh, but wait, yes, you do. He's given us his spirit. And what that means is very much along the lines of what uh, Mike's been teaching over the last years even is, is uh, there is a way of perceiving with her eyes and her ears. But there's also a way of perceiving and seeing, especially uh, with our hearts, by the Spirit. And it's in that seeing that we, we see uh, God at work. And there's a strange interconnection between our seeing and what he's showing us that, that bears miraculous fruit. So um, that includes both how, um, you know, how we see the world and how we see ourselves, how we see God, how we see the scriptures. I think I want to just quickly start with how we see God. It seems to me that most everybody at some point has a damaged image of God. We see God in really toxic ways. So in, in my book, A More Christ-Like God, I talked a lot about false images of God, broken images of God, God the angry judge, God the deadbeat dad, God the genie in the lantern, and all sorts of strange ways we've seen God. And, you know... Maybe 10 years ago, I would have just blamed all of that on the Calvinists, <laughs> you know. Uh, but I think it goes much deeper because I start running into people who've never passed through any kind of theology who still have a broken image of God. I'm like, where did we get this? Here's an idea. The Garden of Eden. When Adam and Eve stumbled, the very first thing they felt was shame. And just as God had fashioned Adam and Eve out of the dust, they end up fashioning an image of God out of their shame. Instantly. The moment they stumble, they feel shame, and out of that shame comes a God they have to hide from. When had he ever given him them the idea that they needed to hide from God? The only thing you might be able to see in it is that he had given them a warning. The warning doesn't create a toxic image of God. The warning should tell them God loves them, that God's a good father, that God cares about their well-being. It's only when they add their shame to it that emerges this crazy idea, we've got to go hide from God. It's just like when I was a little boy and my mom said, don't touch the stove. And she said, the stove is hot. Now, when she said it, what do you call the thing on the, the burner? No, what's the element. element? That's the word I'm looking for. The element was red. So I reasoned as a little tyke that when the element wasn't red anymore, it wasn't hot anymore. And I touched it. Here's the weird thing. I should have run to my mom. But I thought I needed to go run and hide. My mom had done nothing that would warrant that. Where did that come from? It came somehow my stumble. I, I took a leap of, I actually re realized, oh, I disobeyed her. She didn't say, don't touch it when it's hot. She said, don't touch it. And then I touched it. Oh, I guess I disobeyed. Shame. Now I got to go hide. So I think um, a lot of our work that we're doing is, is we're trying to heal people's image of God so that he would be someone we'd run to. And of course, that is the primary purpose of the incarnation, 
in my in my belief is it's not, even prior to sin itself it's healing our image of the father so that he'll be someone we run to because we've all been burnt by sin um, Mike's also been teaching you a bit about reading the Bible allegorically. That means how do we read this spiritually? And that even includes the historical books. So I happen to think that Abraham and Sarai were real people. I think that Jacob and Esau were real people. I think, uh, you know, Ishmael and, you know, and yet we read in Galatians how when you read it spiritually, there's, there's allegory going on, and it's not just going nuts with allegory. It, it's answering this question, how do these stories prefigure Jesus and his gospel? How do these stories prefigure Jesus and his gospel so that they become our story? I'll give you an example. Here's a story from, that you've heard recently too, I think, from Mark 10 about a blind man. I happen to think it's a historical event that really happened, and yet, if we read it spiritually, we see that their, his story can become our story. So um, I, I just started noticing things the other day because I, I read it 25 times out loud. And then that's when you go, oh, look at that word. Oh, I didn't notice that there. I'm starting to get it now. 50 more times and I might get it. <clears throat> but I'll, I'll highlight some of the things I noticed. They, and this is about seeing again. All, that will be our overall theme here. Then they came to Jericho. It's talking about Jesus and his entourage, his posse. As Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, which means son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside, begging. By the way, when the Gospels go that explicit with, in terms of names, it's probably because that person had become well-known in the church, might have become a priest or a bishop or a pastor or whatever they were back then, to say this is a Bartimaeus son of Timaeus is sort of an indicator. They're like, you could even go ask him. Like, they're like, Bartimaeus, like the son of Timaeus? Yes, that guy. Oh, we, doesn't he lead the church over? Yeah, that guy. Go ask him. So it's part of the authenticity of the Gospels. All right, so he's sitting by the roadside begging, when he heard it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. This is a good example of how mercy is not just about God withholding wrath or something. Mercy is all the different ways God can be good to us and meet our needs, right? So mercy in this moment is he wants Jesus to give him a mercy of healing, a mercy of sight. And um, so do I, by the way. So when I pray, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, I'm not begging that he won't smite me. I have no worries about that. If he, if he would, he should have long ago. Amen? <laughs> Eden's like... <laughs> right? What I, am, what, what I am concerned for is that I would receive all the mercies of God so that I could begin to see spiritually, to see who he is, to see who his father is, to see who I am. Many rebuked him. And told him to be quiet. Uh, we get a lot of that. Learned how to use, learn to use the block button on your social media if you need to. Um, the early church fathers said there, there's no, there's no use engaging. Uh, su such folks have not bottomed out yet. When they're ready to have a conversation, have a conversation. But we've got work to do. So, 
son of David, have mercy on me. He calls out even more. He shouted even louder. He's even more insistent. I love this. He's not, he's not gone off to run and hide and isolate like Adam and Eve. Something about Jesus of Nazareth, he recognized as the son of David, which is to say the Messiah, the one who, whom a good God has sent to deliver us. Jesus stopped. So remember, this guy is on the side of the road and Jesus stops. Connection to the Good Samaritan parable. Jesus stopped and said, call him, call him. So they called to the blind man, cheer up. Uh, probably a better translation, more literal would be take courage. It's like he already had courage. Um, cheer up on your feet. He's calling you. So more literally, take courage, arise. He's calling you. So he threw his cloak aside. He jumped to his feet and he came to Jesus. He threw his cloak aside. We'll want to think about that. What are the, if we think of this allegorically, what are, so I, I need, I, I'm asking Jesus to restore my sight, but I'm also need, I want to throw my cloak aside. I wonder what that could be. Could it be a cloak of shame? Could it be a cloak of fear? Could it, could it be a cloak of bondage or addiction or religion or you name it? What's your cloak? Just, um, Jesus may be, you know, calling us to throw that aside, to come to him. And then he asks what seems to be a strange question. What do you want to, me to do for you? It's like, well, hello. But sometimes we really need to be asked that. Sometimes when I ask it, I just was with 20, I was with 25 men and I asked each one of that, them that question. It was a hard question. And some of what came out of their mouth was just religious platitudes. And it was very churchy. And others, it was just about symptoms. And others, it was about deep, deep wounds. And some of it was about, I just want you. So it's, I think it's good. What if we could ask you that tonight? Let's imagine Jesus was here. He is? Yes. Amen? <laughs> so Jesus is here. And if he asked you this, see, that's the point of this parable. It's, we're not just learning history here. Jesus is asking us tonight, what do you want me to do for you? Amen. Wouldn't it be nice if I start thinking about what I want? He really actually cares. There's, there's this other side of us that's like, well, less of me, more of him and take my life and take my wife and let me be. And, and so, um, no, it's like, what is that? Right? No, he actually wants to know what we want. I just want what you want. No, that's so dehumanizing. Yeah. Right? So, um, what do you want me to do for you? And Jesus said, uh, Jesus asked, the blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Now, uh, Jesus gives him a command. Go, said Jesus, your faith has healed you. And I think it was Mike who showed me the other day. It's like, and so immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus. He didn't go at all. He, he, he followed instead. And I like the, um, the, the way the, the, the verb tenses here in the original language be, and he began to follow Jesus on the road. So I, I love that. It's just said he's had an immediate healing, but now he's going to begin a journey. He's going to begin 
a way of living. Maybe some of you have experienced a dramatic encounter or some kind of great answer to prayer, and you have landmark moments in your life that are pretty huge, but also it's like, it's a way. It's the Jesus way. We begin, we process, we, we enter this dance with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So um, um, I wanted to share a couple stories about, about some events where people began to see and in the process of seeing, they also threw off a cloak and got a healing. And so a couple of these are like really, really recent. And they're just way, some of the ways of God in healing. Um, uh, the, the Popoviches are more experts on like seeing yourself healed and seeing yourself whole and seeing yourself prosper, right? And I, I want that, but I'm just, I'm just saying I'm a rookie. Um, what I have experience in is how we've applied this in inner healing to certain things. And, and the, so I'm going to teach what I'm comfortable at. And you'll probably see how it integrates. So um, one of these stories uh, kind of I only found out about a couple weeks ago, but it happened a year ago. And I just heard the testimony. Um, I was at a church in New Zealand and we did we did a kind of exercise where you see Jesus at the cross. He's not hanging on the cross helpless and defeated or dying. He's standing in front of the cross, risen and victorious and glorious. But he's standing in front of the cross because that is a place of exchange. And so, you know, it's a handy little exercise I can do with a whole church instead of having an altar call. So I like to do it. But the idea is, um, and Eden's very, very good at this, um, uh, bringing our burdens to Jesus. What's the cloak you're wearing? What's the burden you're carrying? Where are you carrying it in your body? Because some of these things are, are spiritual maladies manifest in our bodies. And we carry them around as burdens. One way to deal with that is to come exchange them at the cross. So what I did was um, I just, I, I led in a series of questions that I'll repeat again later, but it was sort of like, um, if, if you're carrying something here and J Jesus wants you to leave it here. He doesn't want you to take it home. Um, what, what emotional burden would that be? Do you have a name for it? What's the best word for what you're feeling right now? Uh, second, where do you feel that emotion or that burden in your body? Where would it be? Your face, your throat, your shoulders, your chest, your heart, your sternum, your gut, your fists, your face, you know, name it. Um, so, so the burden I'm carrying, it may be an emotional burden, but it's lodged in my body somewhere. And... And then the question is, what does it cost you to carry that? Because often, and so all of these questions are about having us stop clinging to these things. And uh, sometimes the Lord really wants to relieve us, but the, we, we, we carry them for whatever reason. So, so I ask, you know, what's it cost? And it makes it feel less enjoyable. <laughs> oh man, it's cost me my jobs. It's cost me my relationships. It's cost me my joy. And then, and then we ponder, like, oh, is there any reason why I think I need it? We should just tell Jesus that. And maybe you think you need it. Let's say for me, one of the things, oh, I need my guilt because it keeps me from sin. Really? What I find out, found out is it drives me to it. Well, I need my, I need my shame because it's a shield to protect me from temptation. It's like, good Lord, no. Absolutely. But... But we, even in our heads, we might know that. But if our hearts believe it, we'll still be clingy. 
So what I have people do is we just look Jesus in the face. And even if only part of you feels it this way, just tell him, I need this burden. <laughs> and then usually he just laughs. <laughs> like it, it, he doesn't get super intense about it. He doesn't condemn us. He, we just see in his face a kind of lightness that says, oh, no, you don't. I have much, my, I have a yoke that's lighter. The burden I have for you, it's like, I'm not going to put anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. And so, and, and so then we ask him, if, if I were to let this go, if, if I were to give you this burden, what would you give me in exchange? And then he tells us, and it's the Isaiah 61 stuff. Beauty for ashes. Do you remember that passage? What are some of the exchanges? Garment of praise instead of a spirit of heaviness. Joy for mourning. You could just go on and on because that's what he's into. Exchange. When we come into this relationship with him and we see him there, we're like, and we'll ask, what does this burden look like? And again, we are using our seer and we're like, and, and when we see that the burden we've been carrying is actually ugly, like chains or darkness or whatever. It's like, Ooh, I don't want this, but you get to see what he has for you. If you, if you give me this burden, if you give me these chains, if you just let me have these things that tie you down, that big anvil in your stomach that you feel all the time or the vibrating, you're never comfortable in your skin. If you gave me this, what if I were to give you? And then again, it's back to seeing. What does he show you? What does he show you joy would look like? What would he show you that love looks like? What would he show you that connection or, or um, well, his whole treasury of good things, right? So we did this at the end of the service and... Um, there was a, a woman there in her mid thirties and I didn't even get to talk to her afterwards. I only met her two weeks ago, but she said she went there and she made an exchange with Jesus. And what happened in her was that sure there was an exchange, but she, she wept and wept because it was the first time in her life she'd ever experienced what the cross means. Like really experienced it. It was just theology before it was, she knew it in her natural senses, right? Even if we say in your brain, she, she knew it in her rationality, but she didn't know it in her heart. And so now she had this experience. She was actually kind of angry about it. Like, I'm 35 years old and I've never once experienced the cross in my whole life as a Christian. This is a ripoff. It's like, well, halfway to 70, I guess that's okay. So anyway, here's the cool thing, an amazing thing that happened. She went home at that, that Sunday and she told her friend about it. Now, her friend was an ex-Christian who'd become disillusioned by religion and walked away from even Jesus. But they still had a good enough relationship that she could share her stories, right? So she tells her friend this story. And, and her, her friend, the ex-Christian, has to turn her face away because the girl telling it who'd been at the cross began to glow with light. And the, the light around her was so bright that, that she couldn't look at it. It was like the transfiguration. It's not like the transfiguration. It is the transfiguration. Second Corinthians three, those who look to the Lord, um, uh, are going to be transfigured. That's literally the word used there transfigured from glory to glory into the image of Jesus Christ. In this case, they could actually see it. Now, um, so that's the happy part of the story. Here's the weird downside. She just brought it up again with that same friend 
less than a month ago. And her friend could barely remember it. She's like, did that happen? Oh yeah, something kind of happened. And her friend is like, what? You, I was shining with light and you had to turn your face away and you barely remember it even happened? It's like, yeah. So weird. This is why, you, do, you know what the, do you know what the worst sin in the Old Testament is? Forgetting. Somehow we forget. So this girl, I, I think maybe just, she didn't have the this, this spiritual muscle memory or the spiritual eyes even to remember this like very dramatic spiritual encounter. But, um, and so we need eyes to see. We pray, Lord, have mercy. Give me eyes to see and also to not forget the goodness of the Lord. Uh, and the w things he's done for us. Um, I've had a number of people like that where one, one young guy where he just, he, he encountered Christ in his bedroom as a little boy. And now looking back on it, it's like, I don't know, maybe I was just imagining it. It's like, what ha what's happening? How is it that our eyes grow dim? Let's take a moment just to echo back to me now. What is it? What is, what do you think it is that could cause our eyes to grow dim and forgetful? Hardness of a heart? Okay. We stop looking at the light. We stop looking at the light. Okay. Uh, shame. Cares of life. Shame. Deep wounds. Deep wounds that, aren't that aren't healed. Yeah, yeah. All of these things can, can get, it, it's almost like cataracts or something. Um, and so, so it seems to me um, that that uh, we need to attend to our spiritual eyesight. Um, there was uh, uh, another another person I met on the same New Zealand trip that I was just on, and she's been going for inner healing sessions for a long, long time and has really developed a good ear for God. She can hear and see quite well. Here's the weird thing, though. Her fear was always stronger than the voice of God. And I'm not used to that. I'm like, how, how is that possible? Like usually the perfect love of his voice just drives out the fear. And, um, and yet she goes for session after session. She hears the voice of God and then the fear overwhelms it. And, um, and I, I, so I asked the Lord about that. And I believe he, he, he said to me, it's because it's of trauma lodged in her body. I'm like, okay, so, well, let's look at that. So I did the same exercise with her. I said, I said, where, where's this trauma come from? Do you have, I asked her, do you have trauma? Do you feel like you're carrying trauma? She said, oh yes. Like, where's it from? It's from when I was a little girl being told I was going to hell. And, and I was always threatened with hell if I didn't obey. And when I would do something bad, that this, this hell thing was dangled over her and it actually lodged itself in her, in her body so much so that from the time she's a little girl now into an adult, the voice of God was not powerful, not as powerful as the fear. I'm like, this isn't right. This isn't what God has for her. So, so I thought maybe God, maybe Jesus wants to come remove the trauma of that hell teaching, it's really spiritual abuse. But, it, but, and it was such a deep spiritual abuse and it, it included like shame infected wounding from those words of condemnation, very powerful. But 
if Jesus is more powerful, then maybe there's just an order to things. So I, I asked Jesus to show her, where do, you, where do you carry the trauma of that hell teaching in your body? She said, <coughs> she, she looked and she said, it's like my entire body is hollow right out to my fingertips and toe tips. And that the entire body and arms and hands and legs and feet are filled with rocks. And I'm like, okay, let's just ask the questions. Um, what's it cost? It's like, I can't believe Jesus loves me. Ugh, that costs too much then, doesn't it? Um, cost me, cost me peace of mind. I'm in constant fear. I'm always traumatized. Nothing, nothing changes it. I'm like, ooh. Um, and then it's like, do you need it for anything? No, <laughs> she didn't, <laughs> didn't have to do that one. And I said, um, w w would it be okay if I pray that well, first I said, now you need to pray the magic prayer. This is a very, very complicated prayer. You might want to get a pen out for it. You can have it. So she goes to Jesus with her body full of stones and just says, you can have them. I don't want this anymore. And then I, I asked the Lord to lay his wounded hand on her body and, and to begin to draw out the stones in any way he wanted. So she, she began seeing. And what she saw was that Jesus drew out every stone in her whole body, even the little pebbles at the end of her fingers, and he put them all in a sack. And then he took a hammer or something and began to smash all these rocks inside the sack until it was a sack of dust. And then he spilled out the dust on the ground and he had her dance on it. And then we just checked in, what is, who does Jesus say you are? Who's your, what's your true identity in him? Um, do you need to be afraid anymore? And she heard him perfectly, but this time the fear wasn't louder anymore. It, in fact, this time the love just actually drove the fear right out. The, it seems to me one of the active ingredients there was her willingness to see what was there, her willingness to let it go, and her willingness to, to watch Jesus. So lots of times what I'll, I'll pray in those cases, I'm, I'm like, just watch what he does. Watch what he does, watch what he does, watch what he does. Um, and sometimes, sometimes it, then the journey it, it begins. Other times it's quite instant and immediate. Which blind Bartimaeus are you, you know? So, sometimes it's the, it's the immediate sight and sometimes it, it's the long road. And I don't know why. Um, I've had a lot of... I've had a lot of comfort um, the last few days of hearing Mike use the expression, we know not why, <laughs> we know not how, we know not how. Um, I don't have to figure it all out, but I do know some of the active ingredients and it's to do with surrender and it's to do with seeing. Um, by the way, this seeing, I believe is also a metaphor. Uh, a seeing is also, to me, there's a real seeing in the spirit, but, but the metaphor with it is loving. It's a loving gaze. And so sometimes the active ingredient in the loving gaze is, is, is God's loving gaze on us. I gazed on him because he first gazed on me. I love him because he first loved me. I behold him because he first beheld me. So that's where grace comes in. It's him first. But, but it's, it's this way he sees us. And then the way we see him back and something, something of that is, is reciprocal. It's an interaction. It's a real relationship. What do you know? Right? So, um, so that's two recent stories about this. How's our time? Okay. I think what I want to do is, is, um, is now shift just to 
how this has impacted my seeing of, of, the, of the Bible. Um, how the stories in scripture, when seen spiritually, instead of just through a sort of a, flesh, a, a fleshly kind of way of seeing it, how they everything begins to prefigure Jesus and his gospel. Jesus' life and suffering and his death and his resurrection, his victory over Hades and his ascent into the heavenly kingdom. So when I used to read, when I used to read uh, the story of the road to Emmaus, do you remember that story? So you've got the two friends and they meet Jesus and, and um, they, they're specifically stumbling over his, like we thought he was the one. We really thought he was the one. But now he's dead. So what Jesus has to do is he begins to teach them how the Messiah must suffer and then enter his glory. That's the two things they, they had to understand this. You need to understand, I, I, had, I passed through suffering, and, but then into this, this resurrection, right? And, um, and he shows them from all the law and the prophets, or Moses and the prophets, like all, I think it uses the word all. So it's like he has this amazing Bible study with him. And I used to be so choked that like we don't know what it was he said. Like, how do you do that? How do you see, how do you see the Messiah suffering and glorified in, in the Old Testament? Well, as a young evangelical, that just meant we found a few Bible verses that directly predicted it, right? So you'd have a Bible verse like, they pierced my hands and my feet. Oh, there it is, Psalm 22. They pierced his hands and his feet. They divided my garments among them. Oh, but with by lots. Oh, there he is. They're dividing his garments with lots. So we had a few specific direct prophecies, but that's not what Jesus is talking about. He's talking about reading the whole Old Testament as, a, as prefiguring. Do you understand that word prefiguring? This is the key word, so we better get it. Um, someone Google prefigure. There we go. She is. Okay. She was just bored. She's checking Twitter. <laughs> How's the game going there? Prefigure. Oh, interesting. There's a lot right there, isn't there? A an early version of something imagined beforehand. So um, it's not actually rocket science. I'll show you how it works. But I'm just, I'm, I'm going through uh, a, an ancient book that explains it. So here's the great thing about those of us who are into, uh, in, into the tradition. And that is you, you run into people who are disciples of the disciples and their disciples. So I found through with the help of my teacher, John Bear, a document by Melito of Sardis. Remember Sardis? Is that yeah. city ring a bell? Where is that in the... It's one of the seven churches. And it's one of the seven churches that would have been in the lineage of John the Apostle. So John the Apostle has these disciples like Polycarp and from him Irenaeus. Melito, uh, Melito was one of these guys. Probably second generation Christian. Or I mean second generation from John. And he writes... A sermon. It's so wonderful. It's online. You can read it on Pascha. 
Pascha means Passover or suffering. And so on Easter or Pascha, it was really one service. Good Friday, Holy Saturday, and Easter Sunday was all one thing on Pascha. And he, um, what Melito does is he shows us how, he shows us what Jesus showed his disciples on the road to Emmaus that we didn't get to hear. And it's just unbelievable. I recommend that you find it online. You can download a PDF. And here's the best use of your time this year, probably, um, to stand up and just read it out loud to yourself. It takes maybe half an hour at the most. Um, but I'm not going to read it all to you. But I, I want to give you a few examples of how he explains reading the Bible, um, prefiguring Jesus. He's just finished reading the story of the Exodus, which is all about being redeemed out of Egypt. I'll just riff for a little bit. The scripture of the Exodus of the Hebrews has been read and the words of the mystery have been declared. How the sheep was sacrificed, how the people were saved, how Pharaoh was flogged by the mystery. Therefore, well beloved, understand how the mystery of the Pascha is both new and old, eternal and provisional, perishable and imperishable, mortal and immortal. It is, with, it is old with respect to the law, new with respect to the word, provisional with respect to the type, yet everlasting through grace. It is perishable because of the slaughter of the sheep, imperishable because of the life of the Lord. It is mortal because of the burial in the ground and immortal because of the resurrection from the dead. For the law is old, but the word is new. The type is provisional, but grace is everlasting. The sheep is perishable, but the Lord, not broken as a lamb, raised up as God, is imperishable. For though led like a slaughtered, led to the slaughter like sheep, he was no sheep. Though speechless as a lamb, neither yet was he a lamb. For there was a type, but now a reality has appeared. Instead of a lamb, there was a son. Instead of the sheep, a man. In the man was Christ, encompassing all things. So the slaughter of the sheep and the sacrificial procession of the blood and the writing of the law encompass Christ, on whose account everything in the previous law took place though better in a new dispensation. He's going to go on um, and, and he just starts talking about all of the ways that the Old Testament stories were like models. You make a if you want to make a big statue, you make a little model first. And all of these things were the little, sta the little model of the big statue. Or if you're, you, have you seen architecture, architectural models? Um, you know, maybe a really big one would be the size of this table. And so you'd have this, but it's really a model of the full scale building. And then he'll later say, w once you have the full scale statue or building, what do you need this for? You don't really need it. It's, it's not what saves you. Y you might use it to point to the big thing, but it, the big thing has arrived and the big thing is Jesus. So then um, he says things like this. He is all things. He is law in that he judges. He is word in that he teaches. He is grace in that he saves. He is father in that he begets. He is son in that he's begotten. He is sheep in that he suffers. He is human in that he's buried. He is God in that he's raised up. 
And then he will start going through some of the, um, the stories in the Bible where, oh, let me see if I can find where, where he just has a whole list. It's about, it's about 60 pages long, so I won't look at the whole thing, but it would be like, here it is. If you wish to see the mystery of the Lord, okay, what's the mystery of the Lord? That the Messiah must suffer and be glorified. Death and resurrection. That's the mystery. It says, if you want to see it, here's what you do. Look at Abel, who is likewise slain. Look at Isaac, who's likewise tied up. Look at Joseph, who's likewise traded. Look at Moses, who's likewise exposed. Look at David, who's likewise hunted down. Look at the prophets, who likewise suffer for the sake of Christ. Look at the sheep slaughtered in the land of Egypt, which saved Israel through its blood. And then he says, then also the mystery of the Lord's proclaimed through the prophetic voice. For Moses says to the people, you shall look upon your life hanging before your eyes night and day, and you will not have faith in your life. You will look upon your life hanging before your eyes. What do you think Moses is talking about there? It's the cross. As David says, why have the nations been haughty and all the peoples imagined vain things? The kings of the earth stood by. The rulers gathered themselves together against the Lord, against his anointed one. Who's he talking about? It's Jesus. Jeremiah says, I'm like a harmless lamb led to sacrifice. They planned evil for me saying, come, let us put wood on, on his bread and let us rub him out from the land of the living and his name shall not be remembered. Who's he talking about? Oh, it's Jesus. Isaiah says, and he just goes on and on and on. So, um, if I could summarize that whole book and what it teaches us, it, here's how you read the Old Testament. This is a really, this, is, this isn't going deep like when Mike does the Hebrew stuff, but I mean just from 30,000 feet. Every time anybody, one of God's children, suffers, it's prefiguring the suffering of Jesus. That's what it's there for. We don't really have any business reading that other than that. Our sponsor into the Old Testament is Jesus. And so all of the suffering is just a preview, a trailer of the suffering of Jesus. Every time the people of God have a victory, it's going to be a victory far greater than any victory because it's a victory over Satan, sin, and death. Victory over Hades, victory over hell, victory over shame, victory over sin. So Every victory prefigures his grand victory. And also, every time the people of God are condemned for oppressing others, which is a lot in the pro the prophets are all about this. They're just being, they're, they're being rebuked for how, how they're supposed to be the children of God, and yet look at what they're doing. It prefigures the Sanhedrin arresting, having Jesus arrested and demanding he be crucified. And so it's, it's the much greater betrayal that happens in his death. And then every time they kind of rise again from the ashes, they find a promised land, they, they come out of exile. It prefigures Christ coming out of Hades, coming out of the tomb with, with all a parade of captives behind him. So then you're like, actually, that's not that hard. Just like literally every story, you're looking for how it prefigures something of Jesus. Sometimes, sometimes there's like multitasking where it's like, so where's Jesus in the, in the Joshua dis, um, defeating Jericho story? 
well, maybe he's, maybe he's um, part of the victory there. But maybe also, he, remember Rahab, the harlot is there. She's a, she, her blood is in his veins. She's in his genealogy. And prefiguring the deliverance and the victory that comes through Jesus from her great, 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 14 times grandchild or whatever it is. So this idea of prefiguring is really important because I don't know if you noticed, but again and again, it said, look, look at Abel, look at Joseph, look, look, see. And when you see, don't see ancient, you know, when you see David, don't just see with your fleshly eyes, a, a man, something like Conan the Barbarian who lived 3000 years ago. Um, with your spiritual eyes, look at how he prefigures Christ in so many ways. Oh, what do you know? Son of David, son of David. So um, we've covered a few things on seeing there, haven't we? Seeing is seeing is uh, throwing off our cloak and um, we'll do that in the Q&A time after the break. I think before we go, can I just pray with all of you? Um, we want to do that same exercise here briefly. Um, so if you've come with any kind of emotional burden tonight, and you, you would like to, the Lord to carry it for you, if you'd like to throw off your cloak, you could picture it as a cloak, but maybe maybe the burden you're, you carry, just take a moment to feel... Where, where, where do I carry this in my body? I've been really working on this. Okay, am I feeling this in my shoulders today? Is it, is it my heart? Is it lower? Is it my tummy? Is there a, 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 some kind of a um, burden that we're carrying that Jesus would not want us to carry tonight? Can you, see, can you see it in your body? If you could see it, what would it look like? Is it like any range of things from chains to a shadow to a bowling ball, you know, whatever, a sha whatever, however it would look in you. Maybe it's like that girl with all the stones. And um, so we see them only to see Jesus remove them. That's sort of the point. But we won't cling to them as tightly if we just think through those questions. What does it cost you? If, if, you're gonna, if you would leave here with that emotional burden, what would it cost you? Does it cost you joy? Does it cost you peace? Does it cost you sleep or energy or relationships? I wonder, I really wonder if you need it anymore. I bet you don't. So this is the part where we come to the living Christ, risen glorified and um, he's welcoming us tonight and he says what do you want me to do for you and so as best you can open the eyes of your heart the eyes of your spirit and just look on him look on his loving face welcoming you this is the face of his father the loving face the welcoming face the belonging face the one that ran to the prodigal son And he's, he welcomes you there. You could just say, if part of your heart needs this burden, just tell him that. I need this. <laughs> what does he think about that? But the, now the good news is, let's, let's ask him to show us 
show us what gift he has for us. What is the Isaiah 61 exchange tonight? What is the upgrade that you could have if you just let this thing go to him? And uh, maybe, so we're emphasizing seeing. So just see, see what the treasury he has. One of the names of the Holy Spirit is the treasury of good gifts and giver of life. So if, if you bring him a burden, he is always, always going to give you a gift that leads to fullness of life. Maybe that's even the gift. Abundant life, fullness of life. Um, if you're interested in making that exchange, I'm just going to invite you to pray that really intense, um, complicated prayer with me. You can have it. <laughs> so we just, in, in fact, you could, because this is, we're integrating body and spirit, um, if you want, you can even hold out your hands to him and just say, you, you can have it like that. Yep, just offer him that. You can have it. And that's all you need to do. Don't work hard at this. Don't strive. I'll do, I'll, I'll do my part now. You just, you just kind of surrender as best you can. Um, so Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, Son of David, have mercy on us. Would you now lay your wounded hand on the place in our bodies where we're carrying that burden? Yeah, and if you want to lay your own hand now on that place in your body, you're welcome to do that, or you can just, you know, whatever. Um, but so, Lord, uh, lay your wounded hand there, and I ask now that you would draw out that burden into your own wounds, that you would lift it off or drain it out, or however you want to do that, just that that would go now in Jesus' name. And that you would begin to pour in the gifts that you've offered tonight, the treasury is open and you'd fill our hands and our hearts with good things, with fullness of life. Uh, we gladly make this exchange. We surrender to your loving care. Um, some of you, that if there's a, if there's any person involved in this burden, I think we want to just leave them with his, in his loving care too. could be someone you love, but you have an attachment. That'd be like, uh, or maybe maybe it's someone you hate or resent. Whatever it is, we're just going to leave that person with them, him as well. Um, so Lord, any any person that is involved in my burden, I bring them to you now and I leave them with you in your loving care uh, for you to deal with. And so we just we would just watch him. Just watch him take them, you know, he's going to have their own journey. They're on their own journey. Tonight's your journey. <clears throat> um, so some of you, uh, you've, ha you've just had an exchange. Uh, others of you, it's more like, well, you're starting to walk on the road with him. Um, but in either case, the, the key is, is just to, to, to behold him with, and see how much he loves you. That's kind of how we want to end, to see how much he loves you. Today on Twitter, uh, I, I follow this person who's an atheist, and, and uh, she says, uh, God is disappointed. And so I responded, not in you. He absolutely adores you.
haven't got an answer yet, but could you receive that word? He absolutely adores you. He's not disappointed. Hmm. Well, as you keep seeing him, you just, you know, watch for the good things that he has for you. Um, amen. Mike, back to you. Oh, yeah. Let's give him a hand. Um, oh, as he was looking at it, I was looking at Jericho. Mm-hmm. You want some cool Hebrew? Yep. Good Lord, this is good. <laughs> oh, so when they, when they, they, how many times do they go around Jericho? Seven is the number of perfection, mm-hmm. right? So the sixth day he created our efforts, man. But on the seventh day, ha, mm-hmm. ah, it's not my effort anymore. Whose is it? It's his, it's his effort. Amen. Perfection, right? Mm-hmm. So they go around Jericho seven times, and then what happens? So the walls were something they could see in their, they could see in their physical man, right? Yep. So guess what Jericho means in the Hebrew? You wouldn't believe it, but you will, because I've been tearing this stuff with you. So uh, the root word is ruach. You know what ruach is? His spirit, his breath. Ruach. Resh, yad, kaf. So just let's just take that one. Resh is your head, a man's head. Yad is the strength of God. And kaf is the ability to shape. Like you cuff your hands and you can shape. Does that make sense? And then Jericho, so these are the Resh, Yod, Kaf. They just add Yod and Vav, which is man. Six day, Vav, it's the sixth letter. Vav is, a, it's actually a picture of a straight up thing with a little head on it. Well, what's that? It's you and I, right? So the power of God within man is within his head to shape. So anything you see in your life, as long if you can see how much he loves you and that that's not anything because he's conquered how many things everything so what you see within is the strength of god to shape and the walls come down all the things that you thought was against you come down that's jericho is that cool or is that cool it's beautiful right it's beautiful so we've been we've been going back and forth about all these great things about who Jesus and the Father, and and uh, and the mystery that's been hidden for ages, but is now revealed, is the Anointed One is where in you. It's it's always been there. It's been hidden for ages, but is now revealed in Him, which all like Brad was saying, all these stories preconfig. Pre, how'd you say it? Prefigure. Prefigure. I say types and shadows because that's, yeah. but it's, it's really the same thing. Prefigure meaning it's pointed to something awesome, and Hebrews ten says these are all types and shadows of bad things to come good things to come. So why are we worried about hell and destruction and everything else? When we see destruction in the Old Testament, it's the death, like Brad was sharing, the death of all these things is the death of the physical, what you see, but you find life in the spiritual. Isn't that cool? It's beautiful, actually. Ah, So thank you, Father. So I love that exercise that he did. Amen? So uh, here's... Here's what I would love you to do is um, online as well. And everybody here is, uh, as you know, is um, we want to honor these guys. And so 
Uh, where are the books, by the way? Did we put those out? I don't think we did. Okay, so what, what, I, what we're going to do, everybody here, sorry you guys online. Um, <laughs> I, the, the Freedom's going to buy all the books, so just take what you want. We'll, we'll, so everybody here, just take what you want, okay? Now don't take 10. <laughs> no, I'll, Dennis, yeah, yeah, there are conditions. I'll ask for, I'll ask for forgiveness later. <laughs> I'll double leg you and go, what are you doing with all those? Yeah. So uh, just make sure everybody gets what they want and then go back for seconds. Okay. So um, I'm the youngest of seven. So I'm usually on the short end of that deal. So yeah, thanks mom. Right. So, uh, but uh, at the same time is, you know, what I've really been trying to share with you is everything's within, right? So if you guys online, as well as here, there's, there's giving envelopes um, and don't feel pressured. By any means, that's not what it is. That's why I said I want to buy all the books. And, but, uh, you know, here's what it says is I want you to start seeing yourselves like Second Corinthians 9 talks about. He's like the real when you start to see yourself totally provided for in this abundant flow of who he is. Like Brad said, is that we need to receive everything first before we can do anything outward. Right. So we when we receive forgiveness, we can do what? Forgive. When we receive love, like John says, then we can love others. When he realizes he, he keeps no record of wrong of us, then we can forgive others and keep no record of wrong of them, right? And so guess what? When you start to see yourself as this abundant flow totally provided for as a son, how many things are yours? All things. So he says, give joyfully what you have, and then what's going to happen to you? I'll make all grace abound to you so you always have more than enough for yourself and to do it again. So there's no pressure by any means, all you guys online, but I want to honor these guys. It's, uh, they've been on the road for like three weeks. Chris Beta and I were talking about this. It's like, we just want to honor you and go, thanks for, thanks for just pouring into us knuckleheads, you know? And uh, I just love these guys. And so you would honor Barb and I, honestly, if you honor them. And that's all I'll say about that. Amen. So if you want to give, you can give uh, online too. You can go to freedomministries.org and we just love and appreciate you. And uh, our job is to bring you up to the full stature of who you are in Christ. Right. It's our only job. We're not trying to build a church. We're not trying to build anything. We're trying to build you to show you who you really are, that you're perfectly loved. You're a son, you're a daughter in him. He keeps no record of wrong of you. So whatever desires, whatever dreams are in your heart, he's already said, yes, I guess who planted those there. Now give it over to him is what Psalm 37, four is trust in me and I will do it in ways we know not how, just as the earth brings forth its fruit. We know not how you just carry the vision of what he's put in you. Amen. Well, love and appreciate guys, Brad and Eden. Thank you.